one question that got brought up um, by Yepsiga yesterday at the end of class that was really good regarding uh, dominion that I wanted to call to your attention. I, I pointed out the aspect of dominion, like Jesus talking about saying this mountain, go into the sea, you know? And Yepsiga uh, brought something to the floor of the table that is really where we should, should have started, where I should have started, which is, you know, I'm talking in these incredible things like healing or doing miracles and that sort of thing. And, and I think that's important that we understand that God's capable of doing that in us. Where does it all start? Well, you go to the epistles, you go to the New Testament epistles, and the way the, way the Bible talks is that Paul says, when regarding elders and deacons, the first thing they look at is picture our area, our realm or sphere of responsibility as a circle, right? Our circle of responsibility is as small as we are or as large as we are, right? We, we, our first area of responsibility, every one of us in this room, is the circle around us, right? And the way the Bible talks is that when somebody handles that circle of responsibility well, God delights in making that circle of responsibility slightly larger. And as they handle that well, God delights in making that area of responsibility slightly larger. That's the concept of deacons and elders in First um, <clears throat> Timothy 3 and Titus, uh, where Paul says, look, first look at how the person is handling themselves, their family, okay, themselves, their family, how does the community view them, right? You see this sort of boom, boom, boom. And then if all of those things are going well in this person's life, then in the church, let's broaden their responsibility. But if those things aren't going well, then don't broaden that circle because that circle needs to get ordered, formed, and full before it gets more full. Does that make sense? So, you know, I talked in very large scope yesterday and what God can do, and that's true too. But it all starts in the tiniest of circles. Okay? So I think that was really a good thought regarding dominion. That dominion really starts with you waking up in the morning and you going to bed at night and, and, and how you handle yourself during the day. And then God chooses to do what God's going to do. You know? Okay? All right. Any clarifying questions, uh, comments from yesterday before we jump in that, that came to mind last night? Anything? James. I was just wondering with the uh, knots you were talking about. Yeah. Why is that not the order? Good question. And Alex, our, our assistant, when he did the study, he answered that, and I can't remember where it started switching to, to what it is today. But you know what? That's another book that I'm going to send. Because some books were getting sent to me to bring, and they didn't make it to me on time that uh, Josh had ordered for some of his classes. So I've got to take those books when I get home and send them to the next guy so he can bring them. Um, and I'll add that book to the list. I think it's Dempster that writes it. Josh, do you have an idea on that? Yeah.
good. Thanks, Josh. That's really helpful. And um, something else just came to mind there. Um, oh, but in, in the study in that book by Dempster, he even talks about how you can see some of the design in, in I think it was Ezra, maybe it was, that, that gets to, that maybe that was their actual ordering, even in the biblical writers. It even explores into that. Like, it might actually, like, be the way it was meant to be kind of thing. So it's a worthy study. And uh, our, my dear brother and Josh's dear brother, Alex, is like, this is how I'm going to read the Bible from now on. He loved, he loved it. And the study was phenomenal, the way it all fit together. So I'll send that book as well. Um, good, good question. Anything else? Came up? Okay, so let's get into day seven, all right? Big, big deal. Day seven, I want to propose to you is setting the trajectory for the rest of the Bible. That if you get day seven right, see, let me put it this way. Genesis is helping you interpret the rest of God's redeeming work. As I talked about yesterday, the, the Torah is the foundation of the Bible. Well, Genesis is the foundation of Torah. So as important as I tried to stress that the Torah is the foundation for the rest of the Bible, it's equally important to tell you that Genesis is the foundation of Torah. So, Genesis is helping you interpret the rest. That's exactly what we read in the scripture reading this morning. It's such a perfect choice because Paul is making the argument, look, we got 60 chapters with no law. We got Abraham uh, reconciled to God, esteemed righteous, by faith, with no law. Circumcision, even, came after he was reckoned as righteous. So, righteousness is not based on law. Righteousness is based on faith in God's provision. Every one of God's provisions in the Torah are shadows of Christ. So every provision that he gives is just a shadow. It's another dimension of Jesus. That's, it's just another look at Jesus. Another perspective on the one redeeming man, Jesus. That's the idea, okay? And the seventh day is itself a picture of Jesus. That's why I am not what's called a Sabbatarian, which I don't believe, you know, it's the only command in the new, of the ten words that's not reinserted re in the New Testament, is Sabbath. And I think the answer to that is because it is Jesus. Jesus is the Sabbath. So day seven is just another shadow of Jesus, but it presents this, this concept of rest on the provision of God that paves the way, sets the trajectory to understand Christ. So it's so important. And this is not my thought, it's his. And I hope in showing you the notes here that you'll say, oh man, God clearly 
wanted to stress day seven. That's, I hope you'll walk away with that thought, okay? All right. What we see is there is evening and, and uh, morning, the blank day. That's the closing formula of every day. I want you guys to count how many times that happens in the creation week. What do you got? How many days were there in creation? The, uh, cre sorry, creation week. Okay. So one day is missing the ending formula. Which day? What's that? Huh? The seventh day does not have an ending formula. Okay? Picture Alex up here again. What's he saying? Go ahead. That's exactly right. Day seven never ended. Day seven is right now, if you so choose, for it to be. This is introducing the theme of striving versus rest. You can live a life of striving, which is what will be most magnified in the life of Jacob. And we'll see all the patriarchs do it. We'll see Abraham do it. We'll see Isaac do it. They all strive. They all have a, a plan, <clears throat> excuse me, a plan in their back pocket. If God's, if, if God's plan looks a little shaky, I'll whip out my own, you know, sort of uh, mechanisms and manipulations to make things go the way I want it to go. That's striving. That's not rest. So day seven is like, it's like in every arena that you're in, it's like day seven is a door that you can always walk through if you choose to. It's here right now. It's here when you leave. It's here in your future ministries. It's, it's always available. It's always there is always a, a doorway to walk through and live in the rest of God, no matter how dire the circumstances. Or how positive the circumstances. Because how positive the circumstances are is you can choose to live in that, in that wonder and positivity versus saying, no, 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 as wonderful as this is, it's not my home, right? It's not my home. Because what you'll find in the scriptures is when Wonder, wonderful things happen for God's people, it's often the time that they botch it big time. Remember, remember when David has been on the line here, it's, it's so interesting being in this landscape because I, I walk out and look at my window and I see the tops of all these houses and I think of David. David had established rest. There was rest in the land. He had a few skirmishes to have but it was predominantly rest. And it was the time for those skirmishes. It was the time for war. You know what David did? He rested in his circumstances instead of with God. It was the time for kings to go to war. And David stayed back and he sent Joab instead. And as he's doing nothing in his wonderful rest that God gave him, but he's choosing now to live in the, the, the flesh instead of the spirit, 
He walks out, he looks, and he sees Bathsheba bathing on the top of her roof. And he calls her, and, and the guy says, isn't that Uriah? You know Uriah was one of David's mighty men? And he goes, go get her. So, uh, um, Hezekiah, he's about to die. He begs God, don't, don't, don't let me. God gives him 15 more years. God gives him rest as he wants it. But he chooses to live in the now. And so when the people come from Babylon, you know what Hezekiah does? Man, guys, I'm so happy with what God's done. Let me show you the storehouses of treasure that I have. He's just, he's, he's reeling in the now. The rest that God gave him, but he's not living in the spirit of God. And so he shows these guys, these, this envoy. So the prophet comes, he says, so what did you do with those guys when they were here? You didn't show them the storehouses, did you? He says, I showed them everything. He blew it, right? So rest is something that is very interesting. Because rest sometimes means working hard with God in the things that he wants you to. And then rest is sometimes the still waters and green pastures that he gives you. But if you linger too long in the still waters and green pastures, it, you've missed the rest that God wants. So rest is a very fascinating concept but it's found in Christ. And, and so, consider, day seven never ended. It is found in Christ and Christ's will for us. Hebrews 4, 4-5 points that out. Check out just some of the narrative nudges that it gives you throughout the narrative. 1-1 one, one consists of seven words. 1-2 consists of 14 words, seven times two. 2, 1 through 3 consists of 35 words, 7 times 5. These are, these are little packed punches, okay? They're, they're uniquely separate in the, in the Hebrew, so counting them is not bad. Sometimes numbers can get really weird, but this one is very much part of the narrative. God occurs 35 times, 7 times 5. Earth occurs 21 times, 7 times 3. And God made seven times, and it was so seven times, and God saw that it was good seven times. An ancient Semitic device, it's a, it's a literary pattern that it would take six things and then add one, and the point was to draw attention to the seventh. It's exactly what happens in day seven. You see the corresponding between the first three days, the next three days, and then the seventh is added. So it's, it's, it's uniquely set apart which is exactly what God does. Look at the stress of the seventh day on Genesis 2, 2 to 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work. You guys read what's in, seven, uh, in yellow, okay? And on the... God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the... And from all his, wor uh, from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the... And made it... I should have done the it there yellow because that's another reference to it made it holy because on God rested from all his work that he had done in creation so it stresses the seventh day uh, five times in just a, a short snippet very significant the, the, the stress the emphasis on it day seven is the only day that's blessed it's the only day that's called holy 
Holy means to be set apart. It is uniquely unto, it's unique unto its own. Day seven is hugely significant from the text. What we find is that you've got days one through three without form. You've got days four through six that are void. They complement each other. Now they have form. Now they have void. Day seven comes. And day seven, I would argue, completes the entirety of creation. It is the, the complement to the end of creation. Now, like, if you look at, if you look at like, uh, creation is almost like, could be here, and then day seven completes creation, is another way to look at it. So day seven is this complementing day to creation itself, telling us, humanity, this is the day you're to live in to do creation right, to do life right. You need to live in day seven. Another little clue that the uh, narrator gives you is, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, that's important to remember, and there he rested the man whom he formed. So he creates this day of rest, and then he places man is what the text says but the Hebrew word is he rested him he rested him on the earth which is to say now live continually in rest okay another interesting thing that develops in Genesis is that God does his greatest work when man's asleep where do we see this I'm thinking specifically of three Eve, Adam's passed out, right? Jacob gets covenant um, in a dream. Abraham. Abraham gets cast into a deep sleep when there's covenant is cut in Genesis 18, right? So arguably the three greatest moments in Genesis in some ways, they happen when man's asleep. Very, very fascinating. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, took one of his ribs, closed it. And the sun was going down. A deep sleep fell on Abram. He put it, this is Jacob, put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. These are all little clues that God does his best work when man is living in a state of rest. Stressing of day seven only builds beyond Genesis throughout the Torah. It only builds. It doesn't, it doesn't trickle, trickle down to just a, a little stream. It remains a torrent, a river, mighty river. Beyond the Sabbath, we find in Numbers 28, there are seven additional days on which work is not permitted. Another set of seven of days that are not permitted throughout the year, uh, that it, work's not permitted. The seventh month is set apart with three important festivals. Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, Day of Atonement, happens in the seventh month. Feast of Booths happens in the seventh month, which was a very big celebration. We see this in Numbers 29, Leviticus 23. The seventh year was the sabbatical year. Guys, you want to know something incredibly profound? 2 Chronicles 36 as it wraps up, Israel's going into Babylon for captivity. 
it explains that the amount of time that they were going to spend in, in captivity was directly related to how many sabbatical years they didn't take. Seventy, seventy times Israel did not take a sabbatical year. Seventy times. So seventy times seven, they did not take a sabbatical year. Guys, just consider that for a moment. Just consider it. That God says, hey, 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 hey. Every sixth year, I'm going to give you so much food that it will last you through the seventh year and through the eighth year until harvest. No planting, no tilling, no sowing, none of that, no reaping. And 70 times, which is the amount of time they spent in captivity, 70 times Israel said, no. Why? Why would you not, why would you not take a break? <laughs> why would you not take a break? You didn't trust God. There's a story I've heard about a family that adopted a child um, that grew up in a place that didn't, didn't have food on a regular basis. When he got food, he kept food from that meal for the next meal because he didn't know if he'd get food again. So they brought, they brought him into their house, they feed him his first meal, and he took a piece of bread with him from the table. And they didn't know if they should stop him or let him take it. They just thought, let's just let him do it. He took it in the bath with him. He took it to his bed. He woke up with it. He kept it with him. The next meal, and he'd do this every meal. He'd take something with him. They said it was a huge breakthrough the first time he left the table without taking a piece of food with him. What happened? He started to what? To trust that they would provide the next meal. Israel was like that child with God their whole existence. They never stopped. The sabbatical year is proof. It's why they went in captivity. And God says, you know what? In 2 Chronicles, you're going to go into captivity because essentially you've raped my land. You've ra it's my land. It's never yours. It's mine, ultimately. And you've raped it. You never let it rest. So now I'm going to give it rest for 70 years. Fascinating, guys. God cares about day seven. He cares about this concept of rest. And the rest is found in him. This is why Paul will say to the Galatians church, listen, because Judaizers are coming in and say you need to be circumcised. And he says, look, look, look. First of all, Paul gets really graphic and he says, you know what? I hope these Judaizers slip and emasculate themselves. That's how, that's how upset Paul is about adding striving into a faith system that was established from eternity past. But he says to the Galatian church, he says, look, if you began by faith, if you began by the Spirit, are you now needing to be perfect? Is the sanctification part needing to happen by the flesh? 
Or is it also by the Spirit? In other words, does the Spirit walk this way and then turn this way? No, the Spirit is consistent. It's all on God. It's not on us to strive and flesh. It's not about that. So, and this is why Israel got it wrong. Even, even the law was to be taken in faith. And we'll get to that. But, yeah, Faisal. Very good question. According to? Oh, Paul House. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, interesting. I, I, that's a good question. I, I haven't thought of that in regard to the patriarchs. That's like, like before, before the law. Um, I, there's not anything I can think of in Genesis that says that they did. Um, that doesn't mean they didn't. Um, but I would argue, I would argue that God is setting the trajectory for Christ, not Moses setting the trajectory for the law. So, I, I look at, I understand this narrative to, to lay the way of faith out for all the future. That this isn't, this isn't Moses reinserting that to stress why you need to keep the Sabbath. This is God stressing Sabbath for, why, for how you should understand the coming of Christ. Is, is where I would come at it with. If, does that make sense? The Sabbath connected with the fall. How so? Yes. Now that, yeah, now that I, I agree with, and we'll see that, that Adam and Eve in uh, Genesis 3 are choosing the route of striving. And that falls into retributive irony because what God gives them in the discipline is now you will strive. Now you will toil. So we'll, we'll get to that a little bit in Genesis 3. Um, and and that, that's good. I just, I just really want to stress that I think God is doing this not to, build, not to build up the law. The law itself is to, is to build up an understanding of the coming of Christ. I, I really want to stress the unity of the Bible uh, in, in this. That it is all, from the beginning, the Pentateuch, the Torah, is not saying, look at me. As much as it's saying, I'm, I'm a John the Baptist. That's what the, that's what the Torah is. The Torah is a pointer. I must decrease, he must increase. I am just a shadow that he will put in t 
Technicolor, or black and white that he'll put in Technicolor. Um, and then you have the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, seven times seven plus one, very, very significant. So all of these things beyond day seven stress that day seven is this significant concept in the Old Testament scriptures. And then, of course, we see it in Christ. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we're going to get to this in Noah as well, whose name is actually a spin off of rest. Um, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. At the end of his ministry, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have got, I would, how often would I have gathered you, gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So Israel persistently refused rest. Hebrews 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. And, and Hebrews 4 in the passage on day 7, he says, as I read, he says, there is a rest that still remains, is what he says. Very fascinating. He was catching this. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, justice to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united, and this is what day seven is all about, by faith. Faith is intimately connected to the day of rest with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. Guys, we're going to see this with Abraham and Sarah. Abraham gets the news after Ishmael's already born. What's Ishmael? Rest or striving? Clearly striving, right? It's striving. It's work. It's planned in my back pocket. Striving. Okay? Ishmael is born. God says, no, 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 no. He's not the one. I am going to give you and Sarah a boy. You know what Abraham does? What's, how does he respond? I just love Abraham. How does he respond? I can't remember. I think he falls down. He busts out laughing. Okay? Abraham rejoices in the truth. How does Sarah respond? She laughs, but it's a scoff. That's right. And the angel rebukes her. She says, I didn't laugh. He says, yeah, you did laugh. Right? Abraham, his laughter is ex accepted. It's, it's resting. It's believing. Sarah's is rebuked because it's not. You get to the New Testament and you find the exact same thing happen with Zechariah and Mary. And Mary right? Zechariah gets the news that he's going to have a son. They're old just like Abraham. right? And Zechariah says, how can this be since I'm such an old man? What happens to Zechariah? He becomes mute till John's born. Mary's told, hey, you're going to have a, a baby. You're a virgin. It's incredible. She goes, how can that be since I'm a virgin? No rebuke. It's virtually the same question. And she's fine and Zechariah's mute. Why? It's the same thing with Abraham and Sarah. Very similar responses. One was asking in, I know God can do this, but how? 
The other one's asking, that's not possible. Tell me, I, I want details. Angel says, I don't, I, don't, I don't do that. It's not how we work. With Mary, oh yeah, we're happy to talk. See, it's just a difference of faith that a laughter can be fine, but a scoff, uh-uh, that's not okay. You laughed. Not good. This is the idea of rest. It's, it's circulating all through the Bible, and it's intimately wedded with faith. This is the concept. This is why day seven is so significant, significantly important. Okay, and before we move on, any questions, comments on rest? It's, it's you, you, united uh, with faith. Any, any comments, questions? It's just a wonderful, wonderful point. Yeah, because the, the context of Hebrews is, you know, there's, there's guys in prison, and they, if they visit them, their stuff's going to get plundered, and there's this, you know, pressure to potentially kind of work your way with the Judaizers and stuff like that, and just fall under the realm of Judaism. It's accepted, but this new thing, Christianity's not... And so what does he go to in Hebrews 11? He looks to the Abraham, Isaacs, and Jacobs, and Moseses that, that look to that where the architect and builder is God. That's exactly right. In my, I think you're right on. I think that's great observation. Good. Any other thoughts? James. Oh, yeah. Um, I would love for you to expound on that now as you listen. Yeah, let's, uh, okay, so it's, it's not, it's, it's simple. My argument isn't complex. I, I look at the New Testament. I, I see Sabbath as for man. You see Jesus play with Sabbath and how he handles it in the New Testament. Um, and he is the Lord of the Sabbath, you know. So he's, he's calling attention to himself as the deliverance of that in some way, some form. And, and then you get into Hebrews, and Hebrews seems to make the strong case that Sabbath has arrived in the person of Christ, specifically in Hebrews 3 and 4. Um, and so I, I see the law as a shadow but it's really hard. That's a really hard thing to accept, specifically seeing it in circumcision in the New Testament. I mean, this is something that God gave before he gave the law, circumcision. I mean, and I guess you could argue that with day seven too, you know. But circumcision was really hard to drop for Israel. But circumcision was just another metaphor, right? And we see that laid down also in the law. I believe it's Deuteronomy 30. What you need, Israel, is circumcision what? of the heart. It's just a metaphor. It's, it's just an object lesson. It's just like the, the menorah and the table of showbread. It's just another image to show you and say, this is what the Messiah is like. And then when the Messiah comes, 
the images are no longer necessary. That's why the, the food with Peter and Cornelius, it's, it's not necessary any longer. You know, Th this concept of separation is found in being separate to Christ. You know, all those things, but those were really hard to drop, you know. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's my best. Any clarifying questions or where you come back and say, yeah, but what about this or something like that? Yeah. Sure. In the sense that it, it, it shapes. It's an object lesson that shapes faith, which leads to shaping morality. And I would say the Ten Commandments are very much caught in morality itself, and and in that sort of sense. That day, day, the Sabbath day could be a, another work kind of thing, I guess. Um, like, um, what was I gonna, um, I just had a thought and it flew out. Let me think a second. Oh, you see the Lord's day in the New Testament. D.A. Carson has a really big book on this, the morphing of the Sabbath. And you see the New Testament stress the Lord's Day to it's important to encourage one another. But then you see Paul talk about in Romans, this day is this day for some people, this day is this thing for some people. So it's not, it's not like it was. You know, Paul really speaks to this in Romans 13 and 14. So... It's, it's one of those things that doesn't seem to, to hold weight in the way it did. And I don't even want to say in the way it did, because it was always a pointer to Christ, even though, obviously, man, the guy picking up sticks gets stoned. And I won't argue that he was, like, sneaking out for his poor little family. I think he was bold and obnoxious when he did that, and, and they did what they did. So he was thumbing his nose at God and Moses in what he did, which is why it was necessary to kill him. So, yeah. Okay, let's...